right. Well, good morning, beloved. <clears throat> Merry Christmas to you all. Merry Christmas to you at home. Um, and uh, before we begin, I just do want to say again what a blessing last night was. Uh, nearly 90 people um, heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, in a building which um, up until um, five years ago um, had been dormant for over 50 years if you think about it, and yet God in his perfect timing and his providence arranged the people together for both the here and now, uh, to sing praises, to be the light of the world, a city set up on the hill. Matthew talks about letting its light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so I just want to recognize that and give praise and thanksgiving to our God who is able to exceedingly abundantly do more or above all that we ask or think and to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen well as we uh, continue celebrating the birth of our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ I want you to um, open up your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to give you uh, something to think about. Um, if today is the day we as followers of Christ celebrate the Lord Jesus' birth, then why is it that everyone else gets presents? And more importantly, why doesn't Jesus get anything? You ever th thought about it that way before? Isn't that a little weird? <laughs> kind of backwards? I mean, imagine for a moment it's your birthday, and everyone else got presents except for you. Right? You have the birthday cake in front of you, but we were all too busy to notice if you even blew out the candles or not. Because we were opening all our presents. Uh, we really wouldn't be celebrating your birthday if that was the case, would we? We'd just kind of be there. Enjoying our presents. Enjoying our little moments in the light. Um, now, my mother, every Christmas, as long as I can remember, has baked Jesus a birthday cake. <laughs> um, in fact, last night after our service, we gathered around Mom's bed and Continued on with that tradition as we sang first psalms of praise and then we sat down and enjoyed that delicious birthday cake. Can you please pass me another piece of the Jesus cake? Was said. So, but this, this whole thing uh, got me rethinking um, about this. I thought about this a while, a few years ago. And I believe if we're going to celebrate the Lord's birth at all, we should probably think about giving him something. <laughs> which raises the question, what on earth do you get the Son of God? <laughs> I mean, talk about someone hard to shop for. My Bible says he owns everything anyways. But if you thought about it for a moment, what could you give him? Or maybe a better way to think about it is I pose the question, what is the one thing that Jesus wants from you that only you can give? 
There's a lot, there's, there's some really good answers there, but I'm going to suggest firstly, you know, because we see this in the text, that God wants your worship. God wants your worship. And I want to show you a, a really great example of some people who traveled a very long way to worship the newborn king. So um, let's notice there in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. The Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, um, if you're someone who doesn't read your Bible, tradition has probably filled you in with a lot of the Christmas story. For instance, you've probably seen a, a nativity scene um, like this before. Maybe you won't have one at home or in front of a church. And what do you usually see? You certainly see the little baby Jesus. Maybe some shepherds, some you know, barnyard animals. And then chances are you've seen some wise men. Now tradition tells us there were how many wise men? Three, yeah. Three. Um, tradition tells us that there were three wise men. Truthfully, the Bible doesn't say there were three. In fact, honestly, we don't know how many there were. Could have been three. There could have been 300. The Bible doesn't say. So we just kind of picked that up as a part of church tradition. Three gifts, three people coming. The Bible does tell us, however, that they did. They, they offered or they gave gifts. Down in verse 11, and the Bible says that they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, depending on your translation, like I said, uh, these guys in verse 1 are called wise men or magi. Um, we're really not exactly sure who they are. Um, this word um, magi is really an untranslatable word because this designation has a lot of different meanings depending on the culture from which you were from. Um, it could be translated as magician. Some believe these were oriental of descent, oriental astrologers. The word is really based on the culture, so it could be translated, we see it later in Daniel, as sorcerers or wizards. I mean, really a wide-ranging thing. But the only legitimate facts that we do know about these particular wise men or magi are given here in Matthew um, in these first 12 verses of chapter 2. That's it's the only place where, where we get to see specifically these um, wise men. Um, it says that they came from the east, possibly from Persia or Babylon, which, if true, could actually explain their familiarity with the Old Testament prophecy predicting the coming of Messiah, carried over from the time of Daniel, perfect time. <laughs> Daniel, you're right on time. The sovereignty is perfect. If you remember Daniel's story, not this one, the Daniel of the Bible, the wise men or, or the magi there were among the highest ranking officials in Babylon. And because the Lord gave Daniel the interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, 
which none of the other sorcerers could, Daniel was then appointed as ruler over the whole province of Babylon, the chief prefect over all wise men. Same word, wise men, magi. Daniel 2.48. Therefore, Daniel became very highly regarded amongst the magi. It was the satraps who were the ones who plotted for Daniel to be uh, betrayed and tossed into the lion's den. But whoever these guys were, Scripture says, they saw his star when it rose, and they have come to worship him, to worship him. And they followed this star all the way to Bethlehem. Tradition, again, tells us they came on camelbacks. Uh, But we don't know. They could have come riding camelbacks. They could have walked in an entourage or or even these wise men would have been carried. What what are those things called where they carry the kings or anyone know? Not chariot. There's another word, but Daniel, you're too late. I'm not gonna start over. But anyways, the point is the Bible doesn't tell us, right? They could have walked, they could have been came by camel. Um, no planes yet, so uh But what we do know is that some magi, don't know how many, traveled a very long ways, probably four to 600 miles anyways, which if they did travel by camel, would have taken them probably two, four weeks anyways. And remember, they traveled at night to be able to be guided by the the star, right? Um, And so it could have been even longer. And they did this all with one purpose, one purpose only, and that was to worship the one who had been born the king of the Jews. They came to worship. That's why they came. Now, when we hear that word worship, um, we tend to think of singing songs, worshiping God, right? But the biblical form of worship is is much more than just singing. The the Greek word that's translated as worship is the word proskoneo, and it means to bow down, to kneel expresses the idea of literally falling to your face that we, as we see um, John in Revelation fall to his face when he saw the Lord. That would be worship. Um, to kiss the king, kiss his feet, means to give reverence to, to adore, or to worship. So this is the idea. And so these magi, whoever they were, traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles And look at how they worship. Look down at verse 11. This is amazing. The Bible says after going into the house, and this indicates maybe some time's gone by as well. They saw the child, no longer possibly a babe, but maybe a child. You know, so these are indicators some time has gone by. Jesus with with Mary, his mother. And look at this. And they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down. To the ground with everything in them with their full bodies their full hearts turned to the babe christ they worshiped this child the king now, i'm guessing over the Chris, uh, christmas season um you've been extra busy figuring out all the plans are we going to see this family first and then this one and how are we going to juggle all this and get to church and you're probably doing maybe some extra cooking, uh, last-minute shopping to do. And some of us can get so caught up in the busy, busy, busy of the, the Christmas season, or, or maybe even you're alone this Christmas, 
you're reminded of loss of loved ones or, or the, the, the damage that has been done from, from broken relationships and you're downcast. You, you, your, your heart is not turned in a posture of worship. Whatever the situation that you might find yourself this morning, you probably haven't taken a lot of time for the last week or two to worship Christ. And what I want to do this morning is I want to help recenter your life. <laughs> and uh, this is for me too. And over the next couple of minutes, I want you to turn your hearts to the Lord and I want you to praise the Son of God with this idea of worship and reverence. A, a heart posture. Uh, you don't have to lie down on your face, though, though you can if you want to. We've got plenty of room here today. But if there is only one gift that, that God truly desires from us, that only you can give, certainly the answer to give him our worship wouldn't be a bad place to begin with. So let's first worship Jesus for who he is. Everyone say, who he is. Who he is. Yes, who, who he is. We're going to worship him for who he is. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For what will he do? Can you help me out? For he will save his people from their sins. Who is he? He is Savior. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew says Jesus will be God with us, that God came to reveal himself through his son. Uh, we worship him for who he is. Who is he? He is Savior. And let me tell you who Scripture says he is also. Jesus, Scripture says, is the door. He says, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He calls himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the bread of life. He says, whoever comes to me will not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. He is the living water. He says, he who believes in me, as the scriptures testify, from your innermost being will flow. Living waters he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning, and he is the first and the last. He is altogether the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. Who is he? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Let's worship him now. I want to stand, ask you to stand up and worship him for who he is, Emmanuel, God with us.
Emmanuel, God with us. God has done an amazing thing. And my, how we can become so distracted by the things of this world. We are going to worship the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and we're going to worship him first for who he is. The second thing that we are going to do as we, we refocus and center our hearts on Christ is we're going to worship Jesus for what he has done. What has he done? Well, a great verse to look at is 2 Timothy, if I put it in here, I must have missed it. I'll read it to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 9 through 10 gives us a glimpse of what he has done. Scripture says he has saved us. If you're a follower of Christ, he's saved you from your sins. And he's called us to a holy life. Now, I love this. It's not because of anything that we have done. It's not because of your own good works or some religious duty or because you showed up here on Christmas Day. It's got nothing to do with that. Here's the good news of the gospel. But because of his own purpose, he says in scripture, and this grace, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus, it says, before the beginning of time. God had this whole thing worked out before we were even born. Again, a, a heart posture of awe and reverence for a God who knows the beginning from the end. It says in verse 10, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. What has he done? He has destroyed death and brought life. We worship him for what he has done. If any of you would say, well, you know, Jesus really hasn't done anything for me. I would say that's because you don't know him. <laughs> that, that would really be the only conclusion. Because if you knew him, I promise you, he's done more for you than you can ever even imagine. He laid down his perfect life for yours. The great exchange. And um, I'm betting anything from some of the people that were here last night that there would have been someone here and they were probably in the same spot as I was not too long ago. I mean, I believed kind of in God. I had an idea of who he was because my parents graciously brought us, wrote, uh, raised us in a Christian home and um, went to church and, and stuff like that. But um, I mean, so, you know, I went to church sometimes to go see my dad preach. Um, I knew things about God. I could tell you some things about who Jesus was. I had a firm head knowledge of him. I knew the story. I could tell you how he was birthed in the manger and all that kind of stuff. I knew him in my head, but I did not know him in my heart. And I'm sure some of you can relate at some point in your life that that's where you were. I was missing the power of the message by about 18 inches. And that's where um, hopefully some of you are not today. But if you were to ask me back then, well, what has Jesus done in your life? I would have been like, what? I don't really know. <laughs> what has he done in my life? That was a long time ago he lived. And uh, I knew the story. I knew some things about church. Uh, I might even have a Bible somewhere. 
but I did not know him. I did not know him. When I got to know him, let me tell you what he did. He totally and completely changed my life. There is no perfection that you see here. I'm a stumbler just like every other man or woman on earth, but covered by the grace of the blood of Christ. Um, And we really were one people one day and one people another day. Um, There was a sanctification process going on. Um, But once God gave us a new heart, we started challenging our idea of traditions and things the world had told us. And then we're looking at the Bible. And sometimes it was like, well, I believe what the world says and not what this Bible says. And so there was some struggle there as we were growing. But as we grew in knowing him, We believed what he said versus what the world says and said, gee, I used to think this and I really don't have any reasons to back it up or to stand on that principle anymore because this is what God says. So sorry, world, you lose. God wins. He's the final authority. And that's a good indicator. He's Lord of your life. Because if you're holding on to the things of your of the world, um, that's not a, a fully transformed heart. And you're saying, no, I, I might have a head knowledge of who he is. But if you knew him, you'd say, no, my Lord says this. And I'm with him. I'm on team Jesus. And he took my hurting and broken heart and he healed more wounds than I can describe. He is healer. And you're looking at a person who could get very angry, and he softened my heart. Now I cry all the time. He was, took a person who was caught in all sorts of sin, and he forgave me. Stuff I wouldn't even want you to know about. He forgave me, and he changed me. And I'm telling you, um, that's what he wants to do in your life. Um, every now and then we get someone I used to go to school with or, or that I worked with. And last night, a man named Ed was here and he was actually here a year ago. And, uh, we wept and embraced in the middle of the church here last night after service. And, um, I told him about another guy that, um, we had worked with uh, about 15 years ago and he heard not only I was a Christian, but I was preaching. Well, he loved the Lord and he could not believe it. Why? Because he worked with me for 10 years. <laughs> he saw the depravity of, of my life. He knew what I was all about. And so um, he had to come here to see it for himself. And uh, I said to him, see what? And he says that there was this crazy rumor that you were not only in church, but you were preaching. (laughs) I had to come and see it myself. And he says, man, I was watching you for the first uh, 10 minutes saying, man, there's no way that's you. It looks like you. It sounds like you. But that ain't Nick. It can't be. 
And he asked me, he says, what happened? What happened? And I said, Jesus happened. Jesus happened. I, <laughs> glory, glory to God. It really, just incredible. Um, and when you know him like that, you have to worship him. You have to worship him. And, and I'm appreciative of being reminded of my old life because it, it gives me more opportunity to say, oh, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Why we weren't dead. Why we're not in prison. Why, why, why? So if you haven't been changed, it's probably because you don't know him. We worship him for who he is, and we worship him for what he has done. And then number three, we're going to worship Jesus for what he will do. What he will do. Not just who he is, not just what he has already done, but we're going to worship him for what he will do. And, and I want you to think about this. Just imagine this. The Magi traveled all these hundreds and hundreds of miles to worship a little baby, wah-wah, who hadn't done anything yet. Right? Think about it. Just this little kid, this little baby. And what are they doing? They are doing what we should be doing. They were flat on their face worshiping him. It really speaks loudly in the Christmas story. Um, there's some of you right now who would say, you know, I'd love to worship him for what he's doing in my life right now, but man, there's just all this stuff going on and it's pretty difficult. I mean, I wish he had changed some stuff, but you can worship him the very same way these wise men, these magis, worshiped him. And I like to use the phrase that they were worshiping him forward in faith. Forward in faith. They were worshiping him for what he was going do, to do, but that he hadn't done yet. What can he do? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him, to, now to Christ, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And, you know, there might be some of you here right now who have a, a marriage that feels like it's slipping away and you've tried all the things and it feels hopeless. But let me tell you, if you are in Christ, he can take your marriage and do immeasurably more than all you can ask or even imagine. But how? Scripture says it's according to his power that is at work within us. Okay, well, what power is that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God. God with us. God now dwells in the new temple. You are now the temple. The time Jesus was born, you had to go to the temple to experience God. In the new covenant, you're the temple and God comes to you. He has resurrection power and he can change your life. For some of you, there's somebody you love or maybe there's uh, someone that's uh, dealing with physical ailments. Um, you've got a bad medical report. Um, we've gone through a lot of stuff this year. Um, a lot of hospital visits, 
um, with mom, a, a lot of things that um, I know that you guys have also gone through and experienced. We can relate the older we get with Paul that says, man, these tents, we moan and groan. If you listen real close to me every morning when I'm bending over to put on my shoes, you hear, <laughs> you might be able to relate, huh, Dom? <laughs> and I go, oh, this tent, that's what, that, you know, that's what Paul was talking about. Oh, you moan and you, you make these funny noises, you know. I'm like, am I dying here? What's going on? Just to put it on my shoe. <laughs> But have we not seen God take old things and make them new? There's no guarantee I didn't turn into prosperity man overnight. Um, but God's still a miracle working God. And he calls us in faith to trust in him. And um, God's done some amazing things when, when you look back over the years. So God has proven himself to be faithful And uh, most of all, he's healed your heart. That's why in Isaiah, he says, by his wounds, you are healed. I hear people take that out of context and say, oh, you're, that, that means God's going to heal you all the time. That's his guarantee. They're talking about your soul, brother. These bodies are going down. <laughs> going back in the dirt. But you, the real you, to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. So stop trying to hold on to this life here and start living for the next one. But, you know, sometimes this causes us to uh, be so um, distracted by our aches and pains and the, the aches of this world. And I think we can see in this a forward in faith believing because God is good. God has eternal plans for you. Stop looking to the physical realm, that's short-sighted. Look to the spiritual realm. Look, look above. And God's greatest calling isn't to make your life easy on earth. We've seen that in 1 Peter. If you haven't noticed, um, there's a lot of fallenness going on around us. But God's calling for you is so much higher, he wants to save your soul. He wants to bring you to heaven. All right? And when the Lord makes all things new... When he takes all the world's wrongs and makes them right, he wants you there to share it with. And um, sometimes God's going to use your situation that you know well. Sometimes even the one that you got yourself into. Yeah, that one. Even that one. God can use it. God can use it to teach you, to guide you, to speak to you. Yes, he wants to bless you and prosper you. He will not harm you. But will you trust him in the storm? Will you Go further than that and worship him in the difficult times. Yes, you can. Yes, you can worship him forward in faith. One of the verses I like to um, ground us in is in Hebrews 13, 15. And if you've been with us for a couple of years, um, I went through probably a year where <laughs> I referred to this verse a lot because it really, really spoke to me in the season I was, I was in. Through Jesus... Right. Therefore, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we've got to just offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And 
in spite of our outcome, in spite of the situation, in spite of your pain, some of you right now, you can worship him for who he is. You can worship him for what he's done. And you can also worship him for what he's going to do as the best is still, honestly, yet to come. What is the one gift that Jesus desires us that only we can give to him? The answer clearly from scripture is our worship. And then I just have one class closing thought here. I want you to consider, and I pray that this resonates in your spirit, in view of who Christ is, what he has done, what he still is going to do, I bring to him a gift, and what is that gift? I want to give him all that I am. This, this idea of worship, this, this posture of worship where, where we give all of us to him. Um, denying self, taking up cross, following Christ. This is the, the idea of a heart of worship that's really living for God. Um, so that's more than just worshiping him in a song. I believe what he wants more than anything else is the, for us to worship him with our lives and everything that we do to bring all glory to God. Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view, in view of who he is and what he has done and what he is still going to do, in view of all his Goodness, brothers and sisters, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What is this? Everyone say on. This is the spiritual act of worship. What is the one thing that Jesus wants for you that only you can give? The right answer is your whole life. Your whole life. Not a song. Offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. I want to close today with a song of invitation that is a song of worship, but it's a song, a, I call it a life song. And a life song is grounded in scriptural truths that bring encouragement to the church body as a whole. And this is one of the messages that I think are so important for the church today. It's recognizing Jesus is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and we turn our heart now to worship him, but that God actually, in his perfect plan, said, I'm going to build my church. Right? Remember when he said that to, to Peter? The gates of hell will not prevail. prevail against it. And so he's the head, we're the body. And so this church should be a place that is encouragement and we're lifting one another up we're praying for one we're bearing one another's burdens and we're a living mechanism a, a body that's been raised to life you know brother don was reading from revelation half those churches were dead churches they were dead was it laodicea he wanted to spit out lukewarm church so we need to be a church that's alive in resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, dying to self, taking up our cross, and living a life that is a, a sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God. So I pray this is encouraging you, and think about the greatest gift that you can give to the Lord on Christmas, even if it's got to be a sacrifice of praise, we give him that. 
and when we're going through the season and trust God because he is faithful. So please stand as we sing King of Kings, Lord of Lords.